0: getting a stand set up here. I'm used to preaching with a a stand for my uh, Bible and stuff, especially being with one arm. You don't want to be without a stand. So I want to welcome you guys here to Redemption Olds. I know some of you are are used to Pastor John. John has a longer beard than mine, but I would argue that mine might be a little bit thicker. So the preaching might be a little different, but uh, no, we're so happy to be here and uh, so good to come back to Olds feels like family every time we come back here. We were here in the very beginning with the Penners and the Dyers when they were beginning to dream up what this is going to look like here in Olds. And, uh, and so we're so grateful to be back. And, and even along the way, as we see some of the friends we've made over the years here as well, Kim and I are glad to be here. Our boys are back uh, down in South Calgary. They play on the worship team, and they play every weekend. And so they're much needed down there. And so uh, they're down there with us, but they wish they were here to come see you guys. Uh, as well. If you don't have a Bible this morning, the ushers would love to bring you one of those. And when you get that, open up to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 31. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 31. As we begin this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, this section of Scripture, and we're going to be seeing that it's going to be speaking about uh, what it means to be a citizen of Heaven. The title of the sermon is Kingdom Qualifications. Uh, now, when we're thinking about kingdoms and we're thinking about citizenship, I'm just going to ask you guys, and, and I think I already know the answer, but how many people here are citizens of Canada? All right? Just about everybody? Everybody, I think. Um, how many people here were born in Canada? Were you born outside of Canada? Everybody here born in Canada? Some born outside? Nobody? Everybody's born inside of Canada. Okay. Well, when we ask that question in our church, we have people from India, we have people from uh, Jamaica, people from the Caribbean, people from Moldova, uh, from all over uh, in our our city. And so when I ask those questions, uh, they, don't, they weren't born here. They, were, uh, they had to go through a whole process to becoming uh, a citizen. And so when you think about becoming a citizen of a country, uh, have you ever thought about the whole process of what it takes to become a citizen of a country, when it comes to be qualified, uh, what qualifications are necessary to becoming a uh, Canadian. And then along the lines with that is, do you think that that's a difficult process or an easy process? Well, as I've studied it and I prepared for this sermon, uh, I got studying into our government regulations, what it takes to become a Canadian citizen, and it's, it's really not easy. In fact, it's very hard. It takes a lot of work uh, for example i looked up what does it take for a skilled worker to come into our country and to become a full-fledged citizen so if you're a skilled worker that means that you are a uh, professional you are a tradesman uh, you are a manager of some sort uh, and and applying for citizenship if if you're a skilled worker takes a lot of work the first thing that you have to do is is prove that you are who you say that you are that you have of course proper valid id uh, Uh, Along with that, you have to prove that you don't have any kind of criminal intentions for our country. You need to prove that you don't have any severe health issues that could harm our country. Uh, You also need to prove that you have some kind of uh, post-secondary education uh, that meets our Canadian standards. And then you have to, along with that, prove that you have plenty of work experience to go with that. Um, And then with that, you also have to take a test showing your ability to speak either French or English. And then you have to also prove that you have money to come here. Uh, For a family of four, you need to have $23,500 in accessible funds in your hands, and then you have to pay thousands of dollars in fees and documentation, and it goes on and on and on before you can become a Canadian citizen. And then it also has a process of years along with that as well. So becoming a Canadian citizen is not easy. In fact, it's very And very hard. And that's how it goes with many nations across our planet. You have to meet certain qualifications before they will accept you as a citizen. Now, when we think about that, and then we think about God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, what do you think qualifies you to become a citizen of heaven? What kind of qualifications are required? Well, as we look at Mark 10, verse 13 to 31, As we see Jesus here in the middle of preparing his disciples for the kingdom of God, he's teaching them to to follow him, but also to to lead others to him in the kingdom. He's going to be teaching, what does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? What kind of of qualifications do you need? And what we're going to see here is that he's going to take a lesson of needy children, and then he's going to take a question from a rich young man, and then the ponderings of his disciples— which will lead us to really one main theme here this morning. One thing I want you to take home with you, and it is this. In order to qualify for heaven, we have to understand that we need everything because we bring nothing, and we forsake anything because he is everything. I'm just going to say that again. You need everything because you bring nothing. You forsake anything because he is everything. Let's look at the text. Mark 10, verse 13 to 31. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's ask for the Lord's help here this morning. Lord, we we acknowledge that we come to you fallen, we come to you uh, not able to think your thoughts. Lord, we need you to speak to us and we ask that you would do that through the way that you do it, through your word. Lord, I pray that you would use your word in our hearts this morning, that you would reveal your truth to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would would illuminate the scriptures to our hearts so that we could understand and that you would convict us of sin and that you would also, with that, bring faith. Lord, we ask that you would produce faith in us today by your Holy Word, by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name, amen, amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, to become a disciple of Christ is to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. They cannot be separated. Just like our countries today and kingdoms today, there are certain qualifications that have to be met to become a citizen of heaven. And so as Jesus here, again, he's teaching his disciples and he's preparing them for the days ahead. He's teaching them about the gospel, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. All of a sudden we see here that some small children enter the scene and Jesus takes this opportunity to show both compassion to them, but also to teach some crucial truth about the kingdom of God. He's going to teach them about qualifications for citizenship in his kingdom. And the first qualification that we see in this text is going to be in verses 13 to 16 and it is this, you need everything. The first qualification is that you need everything. So we need to embrace our helpless dependency. Verse 13, They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God." Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So as much as uh, today we tend to pour a lot of attention and focus on our children, we really elevate our children in our culture. Back then in the Roman pagan world, they didn't elevate their children as much as we do today. Children back then were more, more, more to be seen than heard, as that old saying goes. And in fact, when it came to men in particular, children weren't given much attention at all from men. The care of children was primarily the focus and the responsibility of mothers until the child would grow to, to, into adulthood, which back then, adulthood was about 12, 13 years old. Some of you young guys are men and you don't even know it. What we see here in this text is that Jesus is bringing, or people are bringing their children to Jesus. They're bringing them to Him. So why? So that He might touch them. Well, what does that mean? In Jewish culture back then, it was also a normal practice to bring new babies to the elders of the local synagogue so that they could hold them and pronounce blessing upon them. And so it seems here that that's what they're doing. They're seeing Jesus as this teacher, as this religious leader, and they're wanting to bring their little ones to him so that he can bless them. But again, what we see here is with these disciples over and over again as you're studying the Gospel of Mark is that they don't get what's going on. They're not learning the lessons that Jesus is teaching them. We see here that the disciples actually rebuke people from bringing their children to Jesus. Even though just recently in in the scriptures, they were taught to be more accepting to people, they obviously didn't think this this applied to children. Children need to to just be seen and not heard. And so rather than love and compassion like Jesus has for these children, they end up following more of their societal norms than they do the gospel of Jesus. And it results in Jesus being indignant, right? Right? It means that he was angry at his disciples. And so he says to them, he says, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So to Jesus, these small children, they're not to be despised. They are to be loved. You know, when I was a when I was a kid, I had a, a special needs auntie, her, her name was Clary, she was anti-Clary, and we just loved her. And in her bedroom, she had this painting on her wall, and it was Jesus holding little children. And that was her prized possession. She, she loved that painting. Uh, and this is where we're getting it from, is from these scriptures here. I also remember the old Sunday school song, Jesus loves the little children, the little children of the world. And, and all of that is right and true. We see that right here. Jesus is showing compassion to little children. He says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. And so we see that Christ's Compassion goes beyond the societal norms at that time. Jesus, as you study the gospel, loves the outcast. He loves the lowly. He loves sinners. He loves children. He wants to hold them. Because they are little image bearers of God. Now on a bit of a side note here. Some people have gone a little too far with this text. They've taken Jesus' words here to build a case for salvation for very little children. And not that I wouldn't agree that if a child can truly understand their sin and their need of a Savior, that they can be saved. I completely agree. But it's a bit of a stretch to to just look at this text because Jesus holds and blesses little children that little, little ones can come to, to Christ. We wouldn't build that off of this. He loves them. Now, some have also taken this text To argue for child baptism, somehow equating his touching, uh, his laying his hands on them as some kind of a precedent for infant uh, baptism here. Again, I don't see enough uh, information here to support that. But even more so, what we need to understand what's going on here is the context. We see so many times here, he's talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Okay. Jesus is speaking more of just compassion towards children. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. In verse 15 he says, truly, which means listen up, this is gospel truth. Listen, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, again, the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is using his compassion, using his love for children in light of the, the disciples' rejection, and he's using it as a teaching opportunity about the kingdom of God. We see him doing this all the time through the Gospel of Mark. We see this as he's, as he's healing people. This is revealing both compassion, but it's also teaching of a greater reality of salvation in God, right? Whenever, God, whenever Jesus heals somebody... It's a temporary healing, right? Those people aren't going to live forever at that time. It's teaching of greater eternal truth of salvation in Jesus Christ, that you can have eternal healing if you believe in him. So we see again Jesus using earthly examples to teach heavenly truth. And so although, yes, Jesus sincerely loves these children and doesn't want to see them hindered from coming to his presence, he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, what he is saying is, is like a child approaching Christ, so we need to approach Christ. He says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of, co- kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now the type of children that, that Jesus is seeing in front of him is very small children. If you look at the original language, it's, it's very, very young children. Kind of like little baby Eli here in our midst. Little babies, little children, little toddlers coming to Christ. And when you think about a little toddler, you think about a little baby, you have to think about their ability. What kind of ability do they have, really, to do anything? When we have babies and, and little ones, we... we They go through various stages of growth and ability. But when they're really little, they really have no ability to do anything. Right? That's why we have such faithful moms and fathers constantly caring for their little ones. It's true. They they, they can't burp themselves. They can't dress themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't clean themselves. They are utterly needy. Completely needy. They're helplessly Dependent. They wouldn't survive very long without a parent cleaning and caring and feeding them. This is what Jesus is talking about when it comes to qualifying for the kingdom of God. We are helplessly dependent. And so, what Jesus is showing us here, and what he's showing his disciples, that if they want to qualify, For citizenship in the kingdom of God, they must first embrace their helpless dependency. That's the kind of people that qualify for the kingdom of God. Those who are helplessly dependent. And we need to remind ourselves about this constantly. That apart from Christ, we are helpless, we are needy. And we still are. Yes, we have our own physical abilities, our own strength as adults, but we are so unable even to worship God apart from Him. We have no ability to follow Jesus on our own strength. You see, the disciples here, they initially rejected these children because they didn't feel that they qualified even to be in His presence. But Jesus wants them to know that they are exactly the kind of people he's looking for, for his kingdom. Those who are helpless, those who are needy. And so you and I need to embrace our helpless dependency. So we ask ourselves, am am I embracing this? Am I embracing my helpless dependency? Am I banking my salvation? Am I banking my spiritual life? Am I banking my future on my own strength, on my own ability, or am I banking everything? Absolutely everything on Jesus Christ. Are we pursuing Jesus like these little children? Just think about those little children in their need of their parents, putting their arms up and, and needing mom and dad. Are we crying out to Jesus when we're hungry? Are we running to Him when we are hurting? Where are we going when we're scared? Where are we going when we're exhausted? What kind of things are we giving ourselves to when we actually need the Lord? We're helplessly dependent. We need to embrace that. And the more that we embrace our helpless dependency as Christians, the more amazing God's grace gets in our eyes. The more that we see that our ongoing need for him just seems to grow more and more as you grow in maturity in faith as as a Christian. You know, when you grow as a Christian, the Lord reveals more and more sin, and it just leads you to a place of, I just need Jesus all the more. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And so we need everything. You and I need everything. We need to embrace our helpless dependency. Now in this next scene, we see Jesus here. He meets a young man. And this young man seems to have it all together. In fact, you see a real stark contrast between these helpless, needy children and this young, rich man. Which brings us to the next point. When it comes to kingdom citizenship... You need everything, we had that as our first point, but we also bring nothing. When it comes to kingdom citizenship, you bring nothing. So you and I need to examine our spiritual bankruptcy. Verse 17, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Then he runs him through some of these commandments. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, so this young man says to him, teacher, rabbi, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, and I love this, it says he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Verse 22 disheartened by the saying, the young man goes away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. Well, the other Gospels identify this, this young man as a rich young ruler. And it seems initially when you see him coming to Jesus that he is eager. It seems like he's he's got the right motive. It seems that he's got the right heart. And as he runs to Jesus and pleads with Jesus on his knees, he asks the most important question that could ever be asked What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? What's the secret, Rabbi? What's the good news? It seems that he, he knows that Jesus has the answer. He's convinced by what he's either seen so far or what he's heard from others. And so he throws it all, the, on, all on the line and he seeks the only one who can give him the right answer. He goes to Jesus. So when you look at this guy, the first thing you see is, it seems like things are checking out here, right? He's he's ticking all the boxes. It seems like he's, he's on the right path. It seems like he's eager to seek answers from the king, even asking questions that the disciples aren't asking. It seems that he's eagerly wanting to believe and to follow Jesus Christ. But when you look closely, when you look at how he asks the question, And then how Jesus responds is going to reveal that there's an issue of faith here. There's an issue of faith. He asks Jesus, good teacher, which is showing us that he's acknowledging Jesus as a rabbi, as a Jewish teacher. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? eternal life now you would think that jesus would just jump on that question right what an awesome question to be asking me what must i do to inherit eternal life in that question he seems eager and he seems like he's a seeker of everlasting truth i mean just imagine yourself walking downtown olds i think you guys have a walmart here don't you walking in through walmart and, uh, and somebody runs up to you, they know that you're a Christian, you're packing your Bible, and they're coming up to you and they ask you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wouldn't that be awesome? Just out of the blue, somebody's asking you. Like, we have a hard enough time just going out and being bold and sharing the gospel. Just imagine somebody running to you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you and I would jump at that opportunity. We'd be all over it. I would love to share with you the eternal truth of the gospel. But how does Jesus respond? This guy wants the truth. He wants to hear. And it seems that he sets the ball on the tee for Jesus. But that's not what Jesus does. He He doesn't jump at the opportunity to share the good news. He doesn't share the good news of repentance and faith of a Savior who is himself. Instead, he responds with a question, and surprise, surprise, that's how Jesus always responds to anybody's questions in the Bible. Because Jesus sees more than the surface. Sees us, sees us. Jesus sees us inside, right? He knows the thoughts of this young man. He knows the secrets of the heart. And so he begins by confronting this man's definition of goodness. Jesus sees a problem with that. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus isn't saying that he's not good. We know a right Christology would reveal Jesus is perfect, holy, righteous, good. He's not saying that he's not good. He's going after this man's perception of who who he is as a good teacher. Jesus is righteous. He is sinless. He's going after this man's perception of goodness in a rabbi. You remember, he just called him good teacher, good rabbi. And so we know Jesus is good, but he is more than that. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. You see, even the world today would even say that Jesus is a good teacher, right? The world would love to embrace some of these good teachings of Jesus, but they're going to miss the whole point if they don't understand him as Messiah, as the Son of God. The world loves to call him a good teacher, but they reject him as God. And so it seems that's the same thing that's going on here with this young man. He's considering Jesus a good religious teacher, but he falls short of understanding the magnitude of who Jesus is. And that's why Jesus questions his use of the term good. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I am I'm God is basically what he's saying. I'm not just good. Essentially what Jesus is saying is if you think I'm just a good rabbi, you don't know who I am. And your definition of goodness falls short. Jesus says no one is good except God alone. And so we see here that this definition is of goodness is all wrong, and then Jesus drives the point even further, and he goes after his heart. He says, You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother, to which the young man then responds, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. What he's basically saying is, is I've been good. I've kept all these laws throughout my whole life. I'm a good person. Almost saying, I qualify for the kingdom of God. I'm a good person. I would also challenge you to go back to Walmart this week, or go back downtown Olds, talk to somebody on the street, and ask them, do you think that you're a good person? I guarantee you, most, if not everybody, is going to say, yeah, I'm a good person. I do good things, right? I'm a kind person. And then with that, you need to also ask them, well, if you think that you're a good person, why do you think that God should let you into his kingdom? And to that, they'll also say, well, it's because of the good things that I'm doing. Yeah, I do some bad things, but I'm hoping that my good things are going to outweigh my bad things, and God's going to let me into his kingdom. That's not the qualification for the kingdom of God. Jesus takes him through the Ten Commandments to see if his answers change. We see that Jesus takes him through six commandments. This young man seems to come out on top, right? He says, I have kept all of these from my youth. But again, Jesus knows his thoughts. He knows his heart. He knows everything about him. He knows that he's not good. And I love that. It says... In verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him, loved him, and he goes after his heart. If you're sharing the gospel, remember that we don't just share good news. We share bad news, right? We share the good news in light of the bad news, right? And we see that with Jesus here. He shows him the bad news. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When you look at the Gospel of Mark over and over again, it's all about following Jesus. We're walking through a series through the, the Gospel of Mark right now, and it's called Follow Me. Jesus wants him to follow him, but yet this man is holding on to his treasure. And so, verse 22 how does the young man respond? How does he respond? Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. So we see Jesus going after the hidden sin in the heart. And out of love, he points out this man's worship problem, right? That even though he is good to some extent even if it is true that he followed those six commandments to a t he is still evil in the heart he's still not good like the rest of mankind jesus shows him that he isn't good james 2:10 for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it that's pretty serious You can be good your whole life, but if you sin once, you are guilty of all of it. So his definition of goodness was all wrong. Rabbis are not good, and he's not good. And that just, when you look at God's word over and over again, we see that people are not good. We constantly fall, we constantly fail, we constantly choose to sin against a holy God. Romans 3, 10 to 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. No one is good except God alone, Jesus says. And so this brings us back to that second qualification, that we bring nothing. We bring nothing to the table. We don't bring any goodness. And so we need to examine our spiritual bankruptcy. Now, if you take that challenge that I gave you earlier to ask people if they are good, with that, you need to also ask them, why should God let them into heaven? And again, I would say, most, most people are going to say, well, it's a balance of my goodness versus my badness, right? Right? You know, every other religion, apart from Christianity, is all about keeping a law. It's all about doing good things. It's all about earning God's favor. But that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is no one is righteous. No one does good. There was only one who is good, and it's Jesus Christ, this great rabbi who this young, rich man is talking to. Only God is good. Only Jesus is good. So this question, going back to his question, he says, what must I do? That's the problem. That's religiosity to the core. What must I do to earn heaven? But true faith, according to Scripture, is that we are saved. We inherit heaven in Christ alone. Not based on any of our good works, not based on anything that we can do, based on what Jesus has done alone. This rich young ruler thought that he needed to do more. But the religion of Christ says you can't do anything of any spiritual good in order to earn God's favor because Jesus has done it all through his life, through his death, through his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, just like the old hymn. Rock of Ages, love this old hymn. My wife wants it sung at her funeral. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's coming to Jesus like a child. We need everything because we bring nothing. So we see here this young man, he's disheartened. He's disheartened by this saying, he goes away sorrowfully. Why? It's because he had great possessions. And then Jesus looks around, looks to his disciples, and says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, notice that connection. Children, with the children at the beginning of this sermon. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So thirdly, when it comes to becoming a citizen, qualifying for the kingdom of God, we also need to forsake anything, which means we need to reject our self-sufficiency. Just listen to the words of Jesus here. And may this be your prayer this week as you're examining yourself. Allow the Spirit to press this into your hearts, these words of Jesus how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, wealth and possessions are massive obstacles to a path of discipleship. We want to make that abundantly clear in our lives here today. This young man, he just rejected the eternal truths and treasures in heaven for temporary treasures and pleasures on earth. He walks away from eternity for what is temporary. As good as he looks from the outside, as much as he obeyed the law, his hidden treasure in his heart was not the God of the universe, it was the God of his pocketbook. His love of stuff, Blinded his eyes. Stopped him from completely surrendering to Jesus. He didn't want to sell his possessions. He didn't want to give them away in order to come and follow Jesus. Because he loved them too much. He found his worth in it. He was trusting in it. It's a big temptation for us as people on this earth. To to trust in what we have. To trust in wealth. To trust in treasure. What's really revealing to this young man is that he was trusting in his own self-sufficiency. His wealth was his hope. Just think again about that striking contrast here between helpless children who need everything, who bring nothing, and this man who thinks he has everything, and he's not willing to give it up to follow Jesus, and in the end, he ends up with nothing. Friends, heaven doesn't compete with wealth and riches. First Timothy 6:10: "For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pings. So wealth and possessions are things that are so tempting to our covetous hearts. We're so prone to desiring these things. I mean, we just went through Christmas, right? Desiring all kinds of things. And there's a lot of fun wrapped up in Christmas. There's a sense where it can just get out of hand, just this, this desiring of stuff. That thing's going to bring me happiness. Mark eight thirty six. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So we end up always putting our trust in things. It's such a temptation. And what we end up doing is placing our faith in stuff rather than our faith in the only one that can provide us with eternal life. We worship. We have a worship problem. We worship the things here, the things that this world can provide, the temporary things of this world. And ultimately, that ends up pointing to our desire for our own self-sufficiency, we want to lean on our own hands, not the everlasting arms of Christ. But yet there's no room. There is no room in the kingdom for self-sufficiency. Absolutely no room. The, the, the call to follow Christ is a call of self-denial. It's a call to give up on our self-sufficiency, on our own plans. It's, it's a call for us to resign as the CEO of our lives. Mark 8.34, if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Self-sufficiency kills. Love of possessions leads us away from life. It leads us away from everlasting love. It leads us away from the one who can fully satisfy, the one who has the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. And so like children, we need to find our only hope and our only help in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus goes back to this word, children. Like the children from the beginning, these weak, helpless children. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know how the health and prosperity gospel read this text. How do you read this text and and then you go out and you preach a gospel of blessing and riches and plains and mansions? When you read verse 25, read it literally. Think of a camel. Think of a needle. Don't try to explain it away as some have. The needle is a needle. The camel is a camel. Jesus is saying that it's more likely to happen that a rich man could get to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This reminds me of Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Those are the words of Christ. You can't serve the God of money and the true and everlasting God. We need to heed this warning. We need to be willing to forsake anything, especially wealth that stands in the way of us in following Jesus we need to reject our own self-sufficiency and we need to obey the call of Christ to die to ourselves to deny ourselves to die to this world to die to our love of things our love of stuff that comes in the way of our affections to Jesus Christ that's why Jesus says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God and i've seen this play out just play out far too many times I've seen Christians trying to hold on to faith with one hand and, and, and hold on to riches and wealth with the other. The problem is, is that on this side of eternity, wealth just promises so much because with wealth you can experience everything right now. You can bring heaven down to earth. That's the promise it gives. But it's a promise that is a lie. Because we have to wait. As Christians, we have to wait to fully realize the wealth in the kingdom of God. Yes, we have a taste of it now, but what is to come is going to blow our minds. I've seen Christians try to have it both ways, but it's, it's very rare. I've seen Christians walk away from their faith because of greed. I've seen brothers and sisters put outside of the church because they couldn't let go of their love of wealth and greed and self-sufficiency. They wanted to hold on to that rather than to repent of sin and follow Jesus. But when it comes to us, we need to look at our own hearts. We need to examine the ways that we're still looking at this world. We're still looking at this world to give us hope, this world to give us security, this world that promises Possessions, possessions that steal our joy away from Jesus, our affections away from God. And so we need to ask ourselves Is my hope and joy and security found in a full bank account? Am I losing sleep because of what I think I don't have? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if? What are we trusting in in the middle of those thoughts? Is it more money? Is it more stuff that's going to bring us hope and security? What if those hope, that hope that's in those things is actually keeping you from coming to the kingdom of God? We have to be willing to forsake anything. And I mean forsake anything that comes between you and following God. So we need to reject our own self-sufficiency. So up to this point, we've seen we need everything because we bring nothing and we forsake anything, finally, because he is everything. Point four, he is everything. We need to believe in his sovereign ability. Verse 26 And they were exceedingly astonished. His disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing. They were hearing that salvation is hard. Salvation is not easy. It's hard. It's hard because it means forsaking anything that gets in the way. And so they respond to Jesus, Then who can be saved? If it's so hard to be saved, and it's so hard to turn away from the stuff of the word, the world, who can be saved? They knew that possessions and self-sufficiency was a, was a massive struggle for everyone, including themselves. They just learned again that they, they couldn't be good enough to get to heaven, and they end up asking, then who can be saved? Can anybody be saved? Although it sounds pretty desperate, It's the right question. It's the right question. They don't say like that rich young ruler, what can I do to be saved? They say, then who can be saved? That's the right question. Who can be saved? None of us deserve heaven. None of us have the ability to get to heaven. We've been trying to build towers to heaven since day one. We've been trying to climb ropes to heaven. We've been trying to do good things to get to heaven. We've been trying to earn heaven. We can't get to heaven in our own strength, in our own flesh. It's impossible. And that's exactly where Jesus wants them, and that's exactly where Jesus wants you. Then, who can be saved? He wants us to see our sin. He wants us to see the impossibility of our salvation. That when we're left to ourselves, we have no hope. That when it's, we're left to ourselves, we can't get there. And we get to this question, can anybody be saved? It's impossible. Then who can be saved? Jesus looks at them and he says, verse 27, yes, with man it's impossible. Remember that this week. With man it's impossible. You cannot save yourself, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. When the Lord began to really change my heart, you know, I I grew up going to church, I grew up in Sunday school, grew up in youth group, professed the name of Christ at a young age, baptized at 14, but walked away from Him through my whole life, even into our marriage, even up to 12 years ago, not following Him, saying I'm a Christian but not living it. Wanting the blessings of being a Christian, wanting to be saved from hell, but not wanting to walk in holiness, not wanting to walk in obedience, holding on to secret sin that has been festering throughout my whole life. When I heard this scripture, um, I was wrestling really part of my life. I was listening to sermons, uh, really solid sermons. The Holy Spirit was really convicting me of sin and and leading me to a place that I need to repent. I need to confess my sin to God. I need to confess my sin to my wife. But I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be really hard for me, for her, for family. One day as I was really struggling with this, I worked in the oil patch for 17 years in instrumentation. Driving home from work, again, being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And as I drove home from work, one day, I decided to go into this corner store, and I was just struggling with, I need to go and confess hard things. So I go into this corner store and buy a pop and snack. And, and uh, as I'm paying for my stuff, at the cashier counter, there's this little button, like, you know, like a, a button, And it says on it, it, all things are possible with God. Following Christ is hard. Being a citizen of, of heaven isn't easy. In fact, it's impossible in our own flesh. It really is. But we always have to remember that all things are possible with God. Salvation is possible with God. When the disciples say, can anybody be saved? Yes, it's possible with God. So you may think that you're too far gone to be saved. You may think that you've done too many bad things. You've sinned way too much. There's no way a God could save a person like me. That's not the truth the most wicked, vile person on this earth, if they believe in Jesus and trust in what this word says, that he can save them, all things are possible with God. You may think that life is going to be too hard as a Christian, and I'll reply with this, all things are possible with God. You may think that your son or your daughter are never going to come to Christ, and I'll say this, the scriptures say this, all things are possible with God. You may think that I'll never change. This sin is never going to leave me. All things are possible with God. You may think that this Christian life is impossible. All things are possible with God. Don't be afraid to walk in the way of righteousness because all things are possible with God. Every salvation is an impossible miracle because all things are possible with God. So as I look at my own life over the last 10 years, and I see how the gospel has taken our family on quite a journey. And he's taken us away from comfort. He's taken us away from security. Even with our, our church plant in South Calgary, we, we've seen uh, you know, Satan wanting to oppose what the Lord is doing. We've got to remember all things are possible with God. We have to remember that he is sovereign, he is powerful, he is in control, he is everything, and he is worth losing everything for. He is. Peter says to him in verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So when you walk with Jesus Christ for the sake of his gospel, he often takes you away from homes and families Because the gospel isn't stagnant. The gospel doesn't just stay. And we see that's what's going on here with Olds. The Lord is building his church. But what's he going to do next? What's he going to do out of this body for the next church? For the next gospel preaching church that our province, our country, our world needs? The gospel is not stagnant. He often takes you away from your home. Takes you away from your family. The gospel is a moving gospel. When your hearts follow Jesus it moves your feet. And Peter is saying, well, what about us? We're following you, Jesus. And Jesus responds, that when you faithfully follow, what's really going on here is he's saying, you're you're not going to walk alone. Yes, you may have walked away from your blood family, but he has saved you to a kingdom family. When you look around this room this morning, this is your kingdom family. Yes, you have blood family, but this is your family. This is your true family in Jesus Christ. And he says, you will receive a hundredfold of what you thought you had. So what you were trusting in in your blood family, you have a hundredfold right here. Your faithfulness is now going to reap an abundant harvest in the days to come. You're going to be cared for. You're going to be loved. You're going to have sisters and brothers, not in blood but in spirit. And you get to walk side by side in the days ahead, in the joys and in the sorrows. He talks about persecution. There's coming persecution. We know that. If we're faithfully walking, we're going to be persecuted. When you're saved from your sin, you're saved to the church. You're saved to a great throng of witnesses and family that you're going to walk with now and into the age of eternal life to come. This is just a small taste of what is to come. Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. That those who thought that they first had it all together, like this rich young man who walked away from Christ, who ultimately ended up inheriting eternal death, those who believe like children, Those who believe like small children, who embrace their helpless dependency, who examine their spiritual bankruptcy, who reject their self-sufficiency and believe in God's sovereign ability that all things are possible, they're the ones who are going to inherit eternal life. The last will be first. So when it comes to qualifying for kingdom citizenship, we all know that in and of ourselves we don't qualify, right? We don't qualify. We don't come to the table with any qualifications, but there is one who did. And he's the only one who qualified for the kingdom of God. And it's when you are found in him, when you are saved by him and you're covered by his righteousness, when you are saved so securely, so graciously, so mercifully in Jesus Christ, when you are found in the one who qualifies, you qualify. Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. His victory is your victory. In his blood, we can be justified. In his saving grace, we can be saved. Again, not by our own efforts, but because of his perfect plan. And so the call amidst all of this is to turn away, to turn away from our sin. Turn away from trying to save yourself. Turn away from trying to trust in this world. Stop your trying and start trusting in Jesus Christ alone and follow him until the eternal life to come into the kingdom of God. So when it comes to qualifying, you and I need everything because we bring nothing and we forsake anything because Jesus Christ is everything. Let's pray.